everyone. Welcome to The Exchange Daily, where every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday we go through a psalm and just meditate on God's Word. Our hope is just to bring our focus and attention on God's Word and to meditate on it and to practice it. And today is Friday, May 1st, 2020. I cannot believe it's already May. This Sunday coming up will be our eighth Sunday doing a live stream, our eighth Sunday of being away from each other. And I uh, I so miss you guys. Listen, we're going to look at Psalm 24 today. Psalm 24. We're out of Psalm 23. Spent several podcasts there. Um, here is my hope as we look at this psalm. There really seems to be a progression Um, In Psalm 22, we see Jesus as the good shepherd who laid down his life. In Psalm 23, we see Jesus as the great shepherd who meets our needs, who takes care of us. And in Psalm 24, we see Jesus as the chief shepherd who appears. And all of this is referring back to a different podcast where we talked about how the good shepherd lays down his life, Psalm 22. The great shepherd lives for the sheep and meets the sheep's needs. The chief shepherd, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, when the chief shepherd appears, and he's writing to fellow elders, pastors, leaders, he says, you will also receive the crown of glory. And so, But, but the phrase, when the chief shepherd appears, appears, there is the coming of the shepherd. And here in Psalm 24, we see the coming of the chief shepherd. We see the coming of the king of glory. And this is a powerful psalm. Psalm 24, you really feel the weight and the beauty and the glory of God. And so um, I just want to read a couple of verses at a time. And you might be really familiar with the psalm more than you think. So let's just read Psalm 24, verse 1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Uh, The earth, verse one, the earth is the Lord's. I want to stop there. Look at that. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of everything. Everything he says is God's. Now, I wrote this in my Bible. If you want to write this, you can. I wrote secular versus sacred. Secular versus sacred. Here's why. There are those, and even kind of just really in the religious community, that says there are certain things that are sacred and there are certain things that are secular. You know, there are certain places on earth or locations and, you know, a church or a church building or that's sacred, that's holy, but, you know, nature is not. Here, here's the idea. The earth is the Lord's. It's not necessarily secular versus, versus sacred. Everything is God's. Everything can reveal, like you look at the earth, you look at the world, you say, man, this can reveal the glory of God. And, and here's why I'm bringing this up. Here's why this matters. When I realize that the earth is the Lord's, that everything, in a sense, everything is created by him and for him. So everything in a sense is sacred. The idea is this matters because it makes all of life worship. When you kind of do sacred versus secular and say, this is sacred, this is secular, you're basically saying I can go to church and worship there, but when I go and do my normal day-to-day life, I don't worship there because church is sacred, this is secular, and there's a divide. And here's what this is saying. No, there's no divide. The earth is the Lord's. That every moment can be a moment of worship. Every moment can be a time to slow down, to stop, to think of the Lord, to worship him. Whether I eat or drink, I can do all for the glory of God. Now, honestly, let's, you know, let's look at this. I mean, there are some places on earth where a lot of wicked things and terrible things happen. And it's sad. And you could say, well, is the, is the Lord there? And it's like, well, yes, 
yes. And, and it's sad to see how people can miss that. You know, they act like they some things are done in secret. The Bible says whatever's done in secret was brought to the light. My, my point is, um, obviously, I want to acknowledge that there are some things dedicated to the worship and glory of God. There are some things saying this was dedicated fully to the Lord. And there are some people who dedicate terrible, wicked things that are not for the Lord. There are some places on the earth that are absolutely disgusting and wicked, and they, they didn't dedicate it to the Lord. And so I get when people try to make this secular versus sacred divide, but, but re- in reality, all of the earth is the Lord's. And there's something humbling about that. There's something that should bring a sense of awe to wherever we go. That should bring a sense of redemption, because in case something or some, you know, some area is being used in a wicked way, that we as Christians say, no, 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 we're going to seek to redeem this. You know, I've, I've talked to different pastors and missionaries who've basically shared stories of this where, you know, for example, I talked to a pastor who in India, there's just some terrible things happening in a specific home, some human trafficking, some just some terrible things. And it was a really big home and no, eventually basically it got abandoned and no one wanted to buy it because there was just rumors around this place. There was almost a sense of the supernatural around this place of just evil things happening. And this pastor and this missionary team, they went in there and they bought this very large home and they had prayer meetings there and they walked around it and prayed over it. And this place that was once used for just wickedness was used for the glory of God. And there are those who are kind of in the community who dismissed it and said, let's bulldoze it. Some terrible, evil things happened there. And yet the Christian mindset is, no, no, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we have this mindset of redemption. So Psalm 24, that was verse one and two. Let's keep reading verse three. It says, who, I love these series of questions. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Here's the answer. Verse four, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And it says, Selah. We talked about that in a different podcast. That means stop and meditate. The question, um, who who will send the hill of the Lord? Like Who will come into his presence? And then he answers, those who have clean hands, a pure heart, you, you don't lift your soul to another, to what is false. You don't swear deceitfully. Um, this just brings my mindset to James 4. James 4 says something really similar. Um, you notice how the Bible points to hands, heart, swearing, your tongue. It points to just like the, your your heart and the expressions that can be, whether, you know, doing things with our hands or our tongue or like evil things, good things. Here's the idea. In James 4, we see this phrase. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James 4, 8. We see this idea of cleaning, cleanse our hands, purify our heart. Maybe your hands or your heart have been used for wicked things. Maybe you've given your heart to something. He's saying cleanse it, purify it. Do not lift your soul to another. Here, Just here's the big idea. Who can really ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can be in God's presence? He's saying those who cleanse their hands, purify their hearts. Those who remove idols, they do not lift their soul to another. Really, the big idea is uh, how do you enter God's presence? And he's just saying, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. James says the same thing. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. 
I mean, there really is this mindset of the greatest thing you and I can experience in this world is obviously God's presence. This is the greatest thing we can have or experience. Um, listen, all money, talent, wealth, health, <laughs> power, and, and just pleasure that are in the world are God's, everything. But the greatest treasure he can give us in life is his presence, is his face. Um, we're going to see this more in Psalm 27, but we're told not to just to take the, the gifts from God, like, and if they're given, praise the Lord, that's great, uh, but to seek him, just to seek his face. How do you ascend? The word idea of who, who can ascend or who can, you know, climb this hill, the idea is that it's going to be hard. I mean, a lot of people maybe don't experience that intimacy with the Lord. When we talk about, man, are you, are you enjoying the Lord? Do you enjoy his presence? It's like, well, I don't even know how to, like, what? That's, it's hard. And yeah, like ascending a, the hill is hard. This kind of brings the idea that it's going to take work. It doesn't come easily ascending the hill. It takes discipline. It takes removal of things, removal of sins, purifying of things. Um, but notice in verse five, he says, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. I mean, here's the idea again, actions lead to blessing. There are actions that lead to blessing and there are actions that lead to consequences. It's almost like in the church, we don't want to acknowledge that. You know, I, I'm so thankful for grace that God gives grace. I love James 4, 6. It says he gives more grace. I'm so thankful we serve a God of grace, how I need that. Um, but we also need to acknowledge the fact that there are actions that lead to rewards. He says, if you do this, you will receive blessing. It's almost like we want to pretend that, you know, since we're under grace, there's no need to purify our hands or clean our hands or purify our hearts. Obviously, positionally, we're in Christ. You know, obviously, there's this idea that I cannot get more righteous than Jesus. And grace is that thing that just gives us all access to God. And it's all because of grace. But grace leads to purity. Grace leads to a sense of, um, I want to experience the Lord. And so, there are actions that lead to deeper intimacy and there are actions that lead away from intimacy. And he says in verse six, and here's a phrase that like, maybe you've been confused about in the Bible. I've been there. I am there as well. Verse six, he says, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God, of Jacob. By the way, I love how the Bible always identifies who is he the God of? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like, cause there's a lot of different false gods out there. We worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and we must, how that he identifies, he goes, this is our God. Um, but here's the idea, the generation of those who seek him, the generation of those who seek his face, he goes, you'll encounter him. You'll, you'll experience him. Now this always throws me off because Romans three is like, there's none who seeks God. No, not one, which I fully believe. And then there are verses like this. Like if you seek me, you will find me. There are verses in Isaiah in, in the Psalms. I mean, and, and we see this just even with Jesus that come to me, all of those who like, we see this idea of seeking him and then there's none who seek him. And then I, I you know, I think for myself, my heart is like, not just confused by it, but realizing God, if I seek you, it's because you invited me to seek you. But I also must, you know, put feet to my faith and, and I actually must seek you. But I just want us to be a generation that seeks the Lord. I mean, this Psalm, and he says, stop and meditate, Selah. He's saying, hey, there will be a generation that will experience the presence of God. And I think there's been many generations that have experienced the presence of God when they sought him. We're told to seek him with all of our heart. 
And man, I would love for our church, for our generation to be that generation that says, man, I'm going to seek the Lord in this way. Um, why don't we maybe experience the power, the weight, the glory of God? Um, maybe because we don't seek him. Why don't we experience the healing, the miracles, all the things that we see throughout the scriptures? It's like, well, are we pressing it? Are we ascending the hill? Are we purifying hands? Are we cleansing our hearts? Are we saying, Lord, do this? I think we would really experience him more in a greater way. And now, so he says, Selah, in the end of verse six, and now the second half. And I, I'm reading the whole Psalm today because normally we don't go over the whole Psalm, um, but it just, it's necessary. So verse seven says, lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. I don't know if you grew up in like the early 2000s and remember Chris Tomlin and uh, this song, but I can't read Psalm 24 without thinking of uh, his famous song, like, who is this King of the King of glory? And obviously it's Psalm 24. I'm not going to keep singing for you guys. Don't worry. I won't do that to you. Uh, but this is the questions that are asked and his answers. Verse nine, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Who is this king of glory? Listen, this is filled with imagery pointing really to the coming of Jesus, the king of glory. Open up your gates, open up your doors. Um, my mind goes to Revelation 19 where you see the king of glory coming. When you see Jesus coming with the armies of heaven, it says he's riding the, the white horse. He He's called the word of God. He has this like name tattoo kind of thing on his thigh. And we don't know. It's just unbelievable um, this description, I, I think it brings us the idea that, that our king is coming. Our king of glory is coming. This is what we're told to pray for. I mean, we are told to like play, pray and just reclaim this thought of, um, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. I mean, we are told to pray for that moment. God, let your kingdom come. Not just, yes, when the king comes, but even now we're to be ushering in the kingdom. You know, the kingdom of God is here, Jesus said. The idea that it's something that you and I can, we can live in the kingdom now. We can live as Jesus being our king. And we're to, we're to expect this day and look forward to this day with anticipation where the king of glory comes. The king of glory comes. You know, um, to glorify God, one author said, is to obey him unconditionally. Like when you think of the king of glory, what does it mean to glorify God, to obey him unconditionally? But here's the thing. This is not just I obey him because I have to. If you're stuck in that where I obey God out of duty, I obey God from will, that's not bad. You know, sometimes it's hard and you have to go, oh, this is difficult. I'm just going to obey him in faith and obey him out of duty because I know he's right. And it's true. But when that word glory, honestly, what that word is, is communicating and expressing, it's this idea of beauty. It's this idea of um, we cannot get enough. We adore him. He's infinitely attractive. There's no greater beauty than the glory of God. And so when you see this idea of the king of glory is coming, here's, here's the thing. Don't just obey God out of a sense of duty. Don't just obey God out of a sense of, well, this is what I have to do. The, the idea is this. He is a king of glory, of beauty, of infinite attractiveness. And so my heart, my heart adores him. Our heart adores him. We don't obey him necessarily because we have to. We obey him because we adore him. 
And this is what the psalm is pointing to. The king of glory. Open, open up those gates. Come in. Who is this king of glory? Well, we know who this king of glory is. We, we know that Jesus is called the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who sits on the throne next to his father on the right side of the, uh, on the right hand of the throne of God. And so you and I have this anticipation of Je- being with Jesus, the king of glory. Um, I, I, I look at this psalm and my hope is for us to have this anticipation, this expectation for the King of Glory, to look for it, to long for it, to love it, to seek it, to seek His presence, to bring His kingdom to earth as it is in heaven, to not just wait for it for one day, but to say, today I can still seek to usher in the kingdom. I'm praying for God's kingdom to come, for God's will to be done. So church, seek first the kingdom. There is no kingdom without a king, and we have a king the King of glory, and we can seek him now and we can and we can pray and, and honestly live in such a way for his kingdom to come and live in such a way where his kingdom is here because he is ruling, he is reigning, the earth is the Lord's. So uh, listen, I love you guys. I miss you guys. I want this to be an encouragement to you. I hope this blesses you. Listen, tonight, in case you are listening to this on Friday, uh, this right now before 8.30, uh, we are doing a relationship talk, my wife and I, 8.30 p.m. on Facebook and Instagram Live. We would love for you to join us. Um, if this has been a blessing for you, please share this with your friends and text it to them, send it to them, whatever. We just want this to bless people during this whole time. Hey, hopefully, uh, we won't be in this situation much longer. I cannot wait to see more people in person, hug them and touch them again and get back to normal. Um, hopefully this doesn't change that forever. Love you guys. God bless you. See you soon. Bye.